Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You will die only to live again in a younger body. Then you can tell me if the operation was a success. I could easily kill you now, but I'm determined to have your brain. You're listening to the Really Awful Movies podcast, a celebration of genre cinema. Hi, my name is Chris, and along with Jeff, we talk about movies that aren't really awful at all. Horror, action, kung fu, musicals, post-apocalyptic, women in prison films, and much, much more. Welcome Welcome to to Crap of the Week. Sweet, merciful crap! That was the biggest load of crap I've ever heard! From our downtown Toronto headquarters, here's episode 368 of the Really Awful Movies podcast. Crap of the week. This is a semi-recurring segment of the Really Awful Movies podcast, typically wherein uh, Jeff and I would bounce uh, movies that we've watched off one another and get an impromptu, uh, off-the-cuff reaction. So he would share what he sees, um, and I would in kind. Uh, but given that uh, Jeff is on a temporary sabbatical, hope, I thought I'd just do this one solo and uh, sort of do a quick uh, skimming over of uh, what I've been engaged with over the past uh, week and a half or so as COVID counts ratchet up and uh, my viewing habits do accordingly, uh, especially uh, when it comes to stuff streaming on uh, Prime particularly and Tubi where I'm finding a lot of uh, really uh, quirky and unique uh, horror films of all stripes. It's amazing the free streaming services that are available out there and how they how the paid ones like uh, Netflix kind of pale in, in comparison, which is uh, really weird. It's, it's At least that's the way in Canada. That's the way it is in Canada where uh, people try and have end arounds where they get an IP address, a dummy IP address from uh, the state so they can uh, subscribe to American Netflix. I don't know if this is still a thing, but uh, there's the Canadian one is uh, very, very lacking. And uh, I don't know what things are like stateside, but they predominantly seem to add a bunch of TV shows like, I don't know, Emmeline Paris and Virgin River and all these sorts of like romantic comedy type shows or running the gamut from these uh, to these kinds of trashy reality shows like Selling Sunset. I've I've actually watched a couple episodes of each of those. I'm not just uh, pulling these uh, things out of a hat, but they're just the exemplars of uh, kind of the badness that uh, embodies what uh, Netflix is all about these days. Uh, Selling Sunset is particularly egregious with a bunch of uh, Beverly Hills real estate agents. Uh, it's just a, a kind of lifestyle porn vanity project uh, involving the real estate agent, and it just goes around and showcases 
like 10 to 15, 20 million dollar homes in the Hollywood Hills and and uh, the kind of uh, trashy denizens of this uh, real estate agency. And it's just, it beggars belief that anyone would hire these people after this program has been on television. But uh, maybe they've since moved on from... Uh, that line of work now that they're getting paid to, I don't know what kind of arrangement they have. Uh, maybe there's some sort of uh, uh, agents emeriti who uh, don't have an actual uh, salary and just have sort of an honorary title. Uh, anyway, uh, I've been uh, turning to the likes of uh, Canopy with a K and uh, Hoopla and all these other types of things, even some uh, straight up uh, YouTube things when I'm not actually just uh, paying for a new crop of uh, films, whether it's like Possessor or Halloween Kills or some of the newer uh, horror efforts that I've tried to keep up with. But uh, this week I thought I would dive into some Canadiana. And uh, particularly a film from 1988, which was a really good year for horror that included uh, the likes of Slime City and I believe Return of the Living Dead and stuff. 1988, I believe, saw Pin being released too. Had a lot of uh, stellar work there. And 87 was, of course, a really uh, amazing year with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, uh, Dream Warriors coming out that year. So this was really a, a time rife for uh, really uh, creative and really amazing horror. I think Brain Damage came out at the, around this time as well, if not a year or two. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it would have been 1988. But uh, speaking of brains, I mean, I'm covering uh, brain, The Brain from 1988, a, a tax shelter Canadian horror film that uh, marries elements of sci-fi and a creature feature that I really, really dug, and I thought it had a really, really good uh, and funny and, uh, and very um, endearing quality to it. I think it's for it would be best suited to viewers who uh, find kinship with uh, people who really like the video dead and that kind of thing, uh, or uh, let's say Reanimator, uh, because there's some crossover there, because David Gale, uh, plays a mad scientist in this film, and he's also the chief antagonist to uh, Dr. West in Reanimator, and he plays Dr. Hill in Reanimator. So David Gale, you'll know his face is very, very square-jawed, very, very, um, I mean, memorable. He cuts a very memorable figure from the Reanimator film, and of course in this one too. And it's... Um, of particular interest to those of us in Canada, because if you live in the greater Toronto area, or the GTA, there's a lot of filming locations that you can recognize. That I believe the Psychological Research Institute, or PRI, was actually filmed at a Xerox uh, office building out in the west of Toronto in a, in a suburban uh, bedroom commuter community called um, uh, Mississauga. So, which has about half a million people and it's just immediately west of us. And the building is pretty iconic. And uh, I thought it, thought it was really awesome. And the setup for this movie is one for the ages, too, because you have this nefarious doctor. And, of course, the, the Mary Shelley Frankenstein illusions uh, continue to trickle down whenever you have a kind of a mad scientist movie. But this doctor is uh, also the host of Independent Thinkers, a show on television which is growing and growing and growing. And, and he's the host of it. And he's kind of this Tony Robbins-styled uh, self-help guru. Uh, if you want to be insulted, thing it'd be in the similar vein of Jordan Peterson but uh, maybe uh, more on the lines of uh, maybe a Dr. Phil I would think uh, and he has this show that's increasing in popularity and he praises the viewers and the increasing viewing audience of independent thinkers and I can't think how a show that's ostensibly geared to independent thinkers would I don't want to be cynical here have too great an audience honestly 
because we've seen uh, the kind of uh, audience really intelligent shows uh, draw and that you can see in the US on PBS or public television and it's a smattering of what you would get from let's say The Bachelorette or some some dreck like that. Um, there's also a uh, kid named James Majokowski and he's a juvenile delinquent, uh, incorrigible youth, even though he's got a hairline that uh, <laughs> belies his supposed age. But he looks probably about 28 or something. He looks like a grad student. But he's a uh, youngster who's getting himself into all kinds of trouble, including putting uh, sodium bombs in the uh, toilet at his school and using, um, I guess, uh, super glue to, uh, to fix people to their chairs. All kinds of trouble he's getting up to. And boy, are his parents concerned. And uh, when they reach their limit, I guess, and, and uh, overarching concern that James should not uh, be able to get into the university of his choice because of his uh, you know, laddish, uh, stupid, and juvenile behavior, they decide uh, to take matters into their hands and um, register or volunteer young James for some experiments run by this nefarious doctor. And so this Dr. Blakely is is uh, the, the character and he uh, runs this incredibly furtive secretive of course what what else would it be uh, lab in this uh, again xerox location in the west of toronto and uh, this is a super modern well modern for the time building probably a uh, um, modern architecture uh, built in the late 70s envisioning of what a future would have been very jetson style and he's uh, got this tentacled creature that's sort of a, a cerebellum shaped ball of just a gray matter and uh, synapses and that's being uh, electrified in a lab and this is like a, a giant brain it's uh, it's uh, i think they allude to the fact that it's uh, some sort of alien and uh, this creature is being hooked up to electrodes because of course you, you've got a lab and you got to do this and it's uh, connected via some sort of uh, satellite dish mechanism and dr blakely wants to control minds uh, not just through his independent thinker show, but uh, to, by actually you know, sending the brainwaves of this creature out into the general public in order to... I mean, this this has a kind of a Invasion of the Body Snatchers kind of vibe to it. Uh, I don't know if there's anything with which you can really uh, compare it, but you know, soon... Again, when James finds himself in the charge of this uh, evil Dr. Blakely, James actually gets diodes attached to his temples and he is uh, affixed to this uh, brain-like uh, alien creature and finds himself soon hallucinating all these crazy uh, tentacled uh, um, visions when he's out in the, in, the, in the general world. And this includes a, a pretty funny scene at his girlfriend's place of work, which is some sort of chicken joint, chicken shack, and he, he uh, sees these uh, octopus uh, tentacles all over the place and these proboscis, and he, he's just jumping on the counter and uh, terrified. Soon, however, a bunch of murders be, uh, or become attributed to him, including uh, the sawing of a man in half by a chainsaw. And uh, soon the uh, Toronto's finest, or I guess this would have been just outside Toronto, the uh, attending officers are in hot pursuit of Jim. James, uh, for the rest of the film, uh, he, you know, he, he has to uh, try and put an end to this nefarious experiment. And this, this stuff is really glorious. It's actually very, very smart, very, very sharp, has a lot of witticisms. The poster itself, Mind Over Matter, is a brilliant tagline. And um, there's a scene where this brain uh, imbibes or ingests a victim. 
And the uh, Dr. Blakely quips, that's food for thought. I thought this is wonderful stuff. Again, if you're a fan of brain damage, if you're a fan of From Beyond and the Brian Usna films or any kind of mad scientist sci-fi film, you'll really get a kick out of this very cheap and cheerful film. Again, a tax shelter film from the 80s toward the late latter half of, I think, the time when the government was funding such vehicles, I think before it uh, ran afoul of uh, taxpayers and people were starting to question why stuff that was uh, really considered by many people, not us of course, but by many people to be like basement level dreck would continue to be uh, sustained by a taxpayer, a taxpayer funded dollars. So this would have been late 80s, I don't know, I think the you know, Canadian tax shelter system would have petered out, if not maybe in the early 90s. But this is uh, just a wonderful, uh, wonderful, cheeky, cheerful, super fun film with some really quality kills and some very spirited practical effects because of course they had no budget. This thing is minimal budget. It's being funded by the taxpayers of course and it's it's just super fun. I mean it's almost in, in the same vein as like a rock and roll nightmare like a fellow tax shelter type movie and if you're into these kinds of quirky films whether it's a slime city or whether it's brain damage or one of these you will really really get a thrill out of this one. Now the other film I saw, we're going to the other coast now, it's a Dark Night of the Scarecrow and this one I'd always seen the poster of, sorry for dangling my participles there, Jeff would not be happy with that as a grammar teacher. Uh, it's it's a film that's always been on my radar because of the uh, the very iconic poster with the uh, pitchfork uh, being thrust toward the viewer and a uh, scarecrow which almost has a town that dreaded sundown like sackhead Jason kind of look to him and uh, this one has Charles Durning who's as, as the main antagonist and you, you'll know him I mean you'll definitely know him he's a very sweaty sort of stocky he, he's built like uh, Newman from Seinfeld which is kind of fun as he actually plays a, an evil postal worker in this movie but you'll, you'll know him from uh, The Sting with Paul Newman but he's been in uh, Dog Day Afternoon tons of other things like you'll just know him when you see him he's just one of these iconic actors and uh, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow is actually a made-for-TV movie, and I didn't know this going in, and I just found it and started watching it uh, because I didn't want to prejudice myself uh, against uh, having any sort of uh, preconceptions about uh, anything to do with this film. But, I mean, it, it has to be, uh, I guess, uh, up there in the echelons of uh, quality horror made-for-TV films, if not in people's uh, top five. Now, I mean, we've, we've previously podcasted the likes of Snow Beast, uh, but, I mean, made-for-TV horror was of varying quality, but it was a common thing in the 70s and 80s. And you would throw in Spielberg's Duel as uh, one of these, and it was a TV series. You can't really throw that one into the mix, but uh, I'd say one, two. This is one of the better, if not the best, made-for-TV horror film I've ever seen. Uh, it's... It's an adaptation by Frank De Felita, a book. He's the author of Audrey Rose, and this one is all set in the in the you know, remote south. And this is like down in Southern California, but in the sticks. 
and uh, it's, it has it does veer in occasionally into uh, exploitation territory, but for the most part not. And you have this uh, simpleton, uh, kind of a Forrest Gumpian, and he actually is named uh, Bubba, but. That's a tie into Forrest Gump, but uh, he's named Bubba, and he's got a like a he's slow-witted and of mice and men type guy, and he's he's you see him in the opening uh, shot of this bucolic landscape with the mountains and the farms. You see him playing with a little girl, and I think uh, uh, handing one another uh, daisies. So obviously he's a he's a very um, good-natured sort, but the townsfolk, the local yokels, certainly don't see him as such. So what ends up happening is the uh, Charles Durning character, uh, he uh, points out to his fellow residents that this guy, that he thinks this guy, absent any evidence, is a real threat to, to kids, maybe as, as like a child molester or a murderer or someone who's uh, someone they should have their uh, eyes on. And when uh, this young girl gets mauled by a local canine in, in a backyard, uh, Bubba actually grabs her and saves her from the, the rampaging uh, dog. But... This is used as an excuse by the local yokels to actually go and hunt down Bubba and kill him. So we have the scene where they get the sniffer dogs and they hop in the back of a pickup truck. I mean, speaking of, you know, torches and pitchforks, really. And Bubba is on the run and he's got a kindly old mother who dresses him up as a scarecrow and tries to hide him in the field. Now, obviously, the bloodhounds are on his tail, and uh, he, he can't uh, escape the uh, rampaging uh, vigilante mob. You know, as, as the Simpsons said, what is it? There's no justice like angry mob justice. Uh, the foursome, led by this uh, postal worker, Charles Durning character, they um, pump a bunch of lead into this poor guy, and he's done for. Now, they... Uh, actually take a pitchfork and put it in the dead man's hands. What is it, dead man? Like, what is it, uh, Jesse James? Who, who was it? Or was it Billy the Kid? The dead man's hand is that, I think that's aces and, and eights, or is it jacks and eights? I forget what it is. The dead man's hand is, a, is actually a poker hand. But yeah, they, they put a uh, pitchfork into the dead man's hands and try and stage a uh, self-defense which is ludicrous because there's four of them and uh, one slow-witted uh, gentleman. And uh, in any way, this flies in the kangaroo court and the judge um, absolves them of any responsibility and they're able to walk free. Now, the mother of the deceased warns that uh, justice will be meted out one way or the other. And uh, the gentlemen are short, seen shortly uh, knocking back some pints in their local watering hole and, and uh, seemingly getting uh, absconding, getting away with things scot-free. That is manifestly not the case in Dark Knight of the Scarecrow because this is actually a revenge from beyond the grave flick. And it's a bit like that um, horror flick from the early 90s called Pledge Night where uh, one of the university pledges comes back from the dead and uh, exacts revenge. But I can't think of another uh, revenge-type film of this ilk from Beyond the Grave. It's, it's not really one of my favorite uh, subgenres, sub subgenres of horror. But soon, uh, the foursome start to encounter some issues. Namely, one to two of their ranks starts to see this mysterious scarecrow creature appearing in the field. And it's very, very impactfully done. Very, very creepy. Very, very well done with a lot of thought and care. And I think I read somewhere that this actually jump-started the, um, 
the the Jeepers Creepers style uh, Scarecrow uh, uh, film. So this this one came out in I believe uh, 19, early 1980s. I want to say it's 81, but it could be 80. And um, these guys go talk to the the Charles Durning character uh, Otis, and they say like, listen, uh, in in our farmer's fields, this creature keeps appearing, and he and he says like, listen, guys, we can't be meeting up like this because we're gonna ha we're gonna appear guilty in the eyes of the townsfolk as if we're getting together to sort of uh, corroborate, and we don't want to be we should maybe, maybe uh, you know steer clear of one another until things sort of die down. Even though I think most of the town supports their uh, vindication in this uh, pathetic uh, courthouse ruling, but. Uh, anyway, soon their worst fears become realized when one member of their ranks, uh, who's uh, drunkenly going wandering around the the loft of a barn, he falls and uh, falls into a wood chipper to his death. And a bunch of uh, maladies and calamities begin to def uh, befall the uh, m the members of these uh, the ranks of these uh, vigilante murderers, and they think it's the mother of the deceased who's pulling the strings, or maybe uh, in maybe she's in cahoots with the uh, with the prosecutor who's trying to put them away. So uh, anyway, more of this stuff starts happening, and uh, another member of the ranks finds himself you know, buried in a silo by grain and it was really really well done this is a movie that uses like chiaroscuro type shadow techniques the darks are dark just the way i like them just the way horror used to be shot before they started lighting scenes as if they were like red carpet uh, galas or something like darks are great because uh, as toby hooper showed us in the texas chainsaw massacre another exploitation film that when you have something dark your eyes sort of fill in the gestalt and it, it adds a lot to your horror and your imagination and when you see like a very, very brightly lit night scene, it just takes me out of things. I think a lot of people as well, when you have that silvery glow and it looks like basically they shone floodlights on things and that's not the way night looks. And when I see night looking like night, it warms my heart, right? So as did um, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. This was a fabulous film. Yeah, that takes a while to get going, but once it does, it has a nice slow burn, and the the uh, denouement is really really solid. Uh, for all the uh, adaptations of Stephen King, this feels the most Stephen King, even though this is not a King adaptation. I think he would really love it, and although I was unable to find him uh, quoted on it, maybe he uh, remarked on it in *Dance Macabre* in that book, which I have to actually rebuy because mine the cover fell off mine. I read it so much, but uh, this is. Is King-like in a way. So if you really dig Stephen King, you'll like this because it's in definitely in the spirit of his types of films, even though the locale is nothing anything he would really uh, um, position his novels around given that they're always in the in the northeast uh, in new england and stuff this is a different kind of setting but it still really really works has a very uh, creepy rustic children of the corn type vibe and uh they make amazing use of pitchfork tines of course uh, the performances are really really good uh, charles durning is fantastic uh, you got uh, one of his cohorts is uh, robert lyons as well who you'll definitely know from death wish and um Murphy's Law and stuff, and uh, fans of genre film will really, really like the portrayal of the uh, uh, dim-witted, uh, mentally challenged uh, Bubba character, Larry Drake, of course, by uh, of the f of a film uh, Dark Men, which uh, Jeff and I podcasted and which I really, really dug, and uh, he's an almost uh, unmistakable figure. 
Uh, but the performances across the board are really good. It takes a while to get going, but doesn't waste your time either because it's a fairly, fairly uh, tight, taut production and it has a lot of distinctly spooky and engaging elements. I really, really like the Scarecrow. I thought it was really, really understated and really well done. And uh, the characters are really, really believable and really solid. And uh, it's possible, yes, they could have done a little more due diligence with their uh, <laughs> forensics team to realize that the mauling was actually done by a dog, which should be pretty obvious to see if you're an attending physician that it was not the the um, the work of, of, of a human, but uh, rather a man's best friend. So that was kind of kind of silly. Uh, again, but again, the the legacy of this film uh, lives on, and a lot of uh, critic critics have lauded it, and uh, rightly. So, anyway, that's what I've checked out uh, this week. Uh, I am trying to sort of implore myself and really commit myself to just sticking with I decide, what I decide to watch. It really is an embarrassment of riches when you have so many streaming services because I pay for Shudder, uh, Stars, Amazon Prime, Netflix, and all these things, but then I also have a bunch of free ones I avail myself of. And uh, whether it's your Tubi's or the ones that are linked to the local library system here in Canada, which is Hoopla, and there's just an unlimited variety of things, and it's uh, amazing. Like when back when I would have been um, perusing the aisles of the, your local video store, hunting down uh, movies, I would have spent probably uh, an hour just you know thumbing through the uh, the stacks and trying to find something that is really impactful and I do vaguely recall something like the brain being a film I would have encountered around that time is it something for sure that would have been uh, populating the uh, the VHS bins of, of my uh, youth and that but it's it's funny like the, that was so much more satisfying an experience than it is to just uh, scroll through thumbnails because even if you got something that was just total and utter dreck you felt like your two to three bucks was invested uh, in so much insofar that you had to follow it through whereas there's nothing invested and when nothing is invested, something is disposable, right? So uh, for a 2B film, who gives a crap? You're in five minutes, you have nothing invested, you can just bail and bounce. But if you really persevere, you're going to be rewarded. And I think Dark Knight of the Scarecrow will do just that. And similarly, the brain will just do just that. Um, I have to uh, catch up on a bunch of horrors and... Uh, it's going to take me a little bit of time. I got so much on my uh, my watch list that it's been hard to make a dent in it. But I've really, uh, now that we're in the post-Christmas time, I, I had to sort of curtail my Christmas-related uh, viewing. because uh, And I, I'm going to have to probably save a bunch of those for the upcoming year. And uh, I'm going to be diving into some more uh, films. I just noticed that a bunch of... Uh, 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 Seagal, uh, iconic Seagal films are moving over to Prime and uh, Netflix. So I'm going to be covering the likes of Under Siege. I'm, ju I'm just a cook. Uh, I just can't wait for that one. My God, that's just going to be so good. The Navy Man, uh, what is it? Uh, Casey Ryback, one of these just uh, iconic, ridiculous character names. Uh, it's funny, uh, not to go on a tangent here as we uh, draw the show to an end, but Steven Seagal, he's got such a boring name. Uh, it's, he sounds like a certified general accountant, like Steve Seagal, and he always has these ridiculous Gino Felino, Casey Ryback, and Elijah Kane, and all these just t 
two and two and single syllable uh, badass uh, action movie type names. He's just it looks like he's trying to compensate for something, but. Anyway, looking forward to a bunch of those things as well as uh, doing some deep dives into the Shaw Brothers catalog, but also doing some uh, Chuck Norris uh, work as well as uh, we put the finishing touches on uh, promoting our um, Minds Bigger Than Yours, 100 Wackiest Action Movies book. And we're just waiting on uh, hearing from the publisher whether we can uh, possibly pursue a sequel to that, which I'm really, really hoping for because I'm really also diving into some 90s flicks. But I'll keep uh, our listeners abreast of those as developments continue and we continue to bring you the very best and worst of uh, horror, sci-fi, and uh, action films of today and yesterday. Enjoy the holiday season or the hangover thereof, and we shall talk to you soon. Take care. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.